0: fix you. Praise be if you're joining us fresh from the live heron burning out by the mill pond. For everyone else, hello. If you would like to ask us a question, none about the herons, we're tired of that, you can contact us at wewillfixyoushow at gmail.com for some good old time fixin'. Oh yes. Joining me tonight, Miss Lucy Boyd. A rare form of sentience that science has no desire to classify. Howdy. Mr. Dave Convery, brand ambassador for the revolving pyramid of wasp's eggs that sit beyond the woods. It's pretty great. He loves those wasp eggs. I as ever, I'm Roger Hart, who was sworn to destroy Santa Today, we have a question. Hola, fix boys. I am unconvinced by this. Here's the thing. It continues. I have an aging relative who's not doing so well, declining health and the like. It's not critical, but it will be one day, perhaps one day quite soon. They don't have a lot of other family, so I reckon it's going to fall to me to look after them. So far, so humans get old and fall apart. The thing is, we've never really got on. At times, it's been bad. The relationship has been pretty toxic. They can be difficult, so can I. At worst, we've struggled to be in the same room without fighting. But I've got all of this guilt and squishy emotional baggage, and they don't really have anybody else. How do you cope with caring for people in a difficult relationship? Or get out of it without feeling like a monster? Yours, basically a monster. Mr Connery.
1: Well the first step obviously is admitting that you are a terrible human being. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Firstly, this is horrible and you're going to have to be practical about it. Do you or they have any money? Can you use this to provide care? Presumably better care than you yourself could provide. Are they entitled to care under the NHS or equivalent healthcare system would that care be good for them? Whilst you visit to provide emotional support in some capacity, the interesting thing reading about this is it's very common. You know, this is as common. Uh, this this occurs for every family where people have fallen out. This is going to be the case, and. It's not suddenly upon you to bow to their every whim or behave as though they've never mistreated you. Um, And it's not upon you to take on all of the emotional strain of maintaining that relationship while caring for them. It just isn't, that is unreasonable. If you do want to help though, you're going to have to focus on self-care you're going to have to have time to yourself and you're going to have to have people who can back you up. So schedule in time for self-care or make sure that you're alternating responsibilities with actual professionals who do this or other relatives because if you say they, haven't, they don't really have anyone else. There must be other relatives who can do some things, unless you are genuinely the last two of your family locked in some sort of Highlander-esque mortal combat with broadswords, which I think you're going to come out ahead of, because, as you say, they something. are already dying. Their being sick basically doesn't disavow them they've done to put strain on the relationship, and your caring for them does not... of anything you've done to do the same. It's still going to be hard. Catharsis is not going to be easy to come by. And you're going to have to learn to rely on other people and ask for help because it's
0: going to be shit. Ms. Boy is...
2: My advice is actually remarkably similar to Mr Convery's today. I mean, I sort of begin from the fundamental principle that having a child or a relationship with a family member is by no means making a contract with the universe that guarantees you'll get someone to look after you and you're too old to look after yourself. This is just categorically not true. However, it's very difficult when you run into people who hold that belief because they sort of feel like you're fundamentally wronging everything they've ever believed. That's also not your problem. I think it's also true that if your relationship with this relative isn't great, it's likely that some stuff probably went wrong earlier in your life, you know, especially if they're a parent or a primary caregiver, it's almost certain that they fucked up some of the early life nourishment stuff that kids need to have that kind of healthy relationship. It's very rare to find a child who is just bad with really good parents. Um, You know, they are ultimately gonna reap pretty much whatever they've sown, excuse the uh, the, uh, expression. Also, in theory, the state should provide, because what is the point of having a big state grabbing about in your affairs if they're not going to fucking provide you with some of the basic necessities of living and dying? But, you know, we also have this kind of big society bollocks where the state that's currently implemented would really prefer the majority of social good to be administered via private charity and private labour. As far as this state is concerned, the more of us that look after our own elderly, the less of a job it has to do. However, again, that does, still does not obligate you to do anything. Some people genuinely have absolutely no one, either because they've alienated the people they had originally, because they didn't have anyone originally, because their kids just turned out not to want to care for them in that way. That stuff happens and those people still die somehow. I think also it's good to remember everybody is going to die and it is not necessarily going to be a nice death, even though we as a society sort of have a lot bought into the idea of death being a kind of nice, clean, painless, non-traumatising thing that just happens a lot of people who never wanted carers to come into their house or to be cared for by people who weren't family or never wanted to go into a home actually managed to adapt to that remarkably well once it is their only option you know you can protest and you can protest but ultimately you're going to get to a point where you can't do that shit for yourself and if the only option is to have somebody paying someone else to do it for you you're going to get along with that and that's going to be fine so i think You have no obligations at all, but you can still choose to help to a greater or lesser extent if you want to. So there are multiple ways you can be kind in this situation. I think sometimes you can be kind to a person you don't really like, who might not have really treated you as well as you deserve to be treated, and suck that up and just try and do right by them. Not because you have to, but because you have the power to help another human being who is very vulnerable. You might find it easier to live with yourself if you do this it's possible that you'll have a kind of healing or bonding moment from doing it although not a fucking guarantee please do not go into this thinking that that is a guarantee it is absolutely not they might continue to be a cunt throughout and you might wish that you'd never bothered this could go any number of ways and i think the flip side of that is remembering that sometimes it is a kindness to yourself to not re-traumatize yourself to not sign up for additional emotional abuse by interacting with a person. Dying isn't a get-out-of-jail-free card for shitty behaviour, and if you know that you're going to get a ton of, oh, but you have to do deeply unreasonable thing for me because I'm dying, you're allowed to nope the fuck out in advance of that. You probably know this person better than we do. So I think the key things to think about, number one is how much do you actually care how good a death this person has, because that's more the thing you've got some control over. And you should think about that properly, not just how much you think you ought to care or how much society would want you to care, but how much you actually do care. And if it's not that much, be free. Let someone else do it. And if it is actually more than you wanted, you're going to have to come to terms with that one way or another. Um, If you're inclined to be at least somewhat helpful, there is some practical stuff that you can do, and boundaries are really, really important. So, I mean, there's a lot involved in end-of-life care. Some of it is all my personal admin shit needs to get together. Some of it is I need help to do even the basic activities of living. That is a spectrum, and you can figure out where on that spectrum you actually have the skills, ability, and emotional energy to put some time or effort in. You might be able to help coordinate care or visit more often or do some liaison stuff, but not able or willing to move in with the person or have the person move in with you or be providing them with constant care. So be realistic about that. I think the really important thing to do here is be upfront with the person at the beginning about where those lines are for you. It's very easy, especially if you're the kind of family who just don't talk about things, for you to have a line in your mind and then for that person to try and push that boundary. And it's much easier when you've already had that conversation to say, no, I already said I would do X, Y and Z, but not A, B and C, rather than them saying, I expect this to be on top of everything else. And you haven't got any kind of baseline for establishing whether that's reasonable or not. I think also to remember, depending on the prognosis, you know, terminal illness inherently doesn't last forever. You've got to know how much shit you're capable of taking whilst knowing the other person is definitely going to die at some point. The only thing I would say about that is it can take a fucking age for someone to die, like so much longer than you would (laughs) believe, especially when you're doing a lot of horrible stuff. It really can. I think the other thing to bear in mind if you do want to help is that you have more power in this situation than the other person, even if it doesn't feel like it, and even if you have a pre-existing dynamic of them holding all the power, all the emotional power. So you actually get a lot more control at this point over how things go, particularly if they're sort of physically and emotionally weakened and, you know, may not even be able to be as abusive to you as they were in the past.
1: So put the boot in is what you're saying.
2: Well... More like you get to do things your way and not their way if it's faster or easier for you to do it. You're helping them. If they want to criticise you, they can find someone else to help them. You get to tell them to stop emotionally abusing you while you're doing the work. You get, you get, know, It's an opportunity to redress that balance in your relationship to some extent. I think also you can't do that much damage to an already damaged relationship in the time that it takes for someone to die, so don't worry too much about walking on eggshells or offending them. This is not a time to pander to everyone's wins when you've also got needs and you're fucking doing something really difficult and stressful. And I think if they do start being mean or emotionally abusive, it's okay to show them how you feel, even if that's not typically how your relationship has gone. There was a moment when my um, grandmother was dying, and my sister was the person who was doing sort of the primary care for that, and my grandmother was just laying into her about something trivial, and she started crying, which was not normally how she would have reacted in that situation, but it actually made my grandma realise how unreasonable she was being, Some, you know, your feelings have power, Some, it's okay to show them in this situation. I think if you are not inclined to help at all, and that is completely fine, there are ways of reframing your guilt. So you can think about it as, you know, this person has presumably repeatedly failed you throughout your life. You may have tried reconciliation and not really had much traction with that. This isn't you being selfish so much as it is the direct result of that person's failure to maintain the relationship with you. It's okay to prioritize yourself and your own needs. You I mean frankly, you're going to be alive much longer than that person. They're going to be dead and their memory of you wronging them is going to die with them. So prioritize making your own life more livable for you.
1: Unless they trick you into mutual strangulation, which they may try depending on circumstances. It really
2: depends on the grade and level of the abuse in question. Yeah. But yes, no, it's okay to prioritise making your ongoing life okay for you, rather than making their brief and definitely going to be over at some point death better for them. I think the one thing to be careful about here is think about whether it's kind of slipping into punishment territory for you, because it's probably not as great if your primary motivation is to, you know, show them or get back at them. You're not actually going to teach them a lesson because at this point they're probably oblivious to learning the lesson and they're going to die anyway. So it's not like you're going to get any benefits from teaching that lesson. So I think it's probably better to reframe it as reclaiming your time and energy for yourself rather than keeping to like pouring in effort into something that's difficult and unrewarding rather than trying to get back at them or show them. The only other piece of advice I would have is if you've got more than one, and it doesn't sound like it's true in this case, but if there is more than one potential source of care involved, you've got to be mindful of, A, the other person's perspectives, and B, gender equality, particularly in sibling relationships. It often falls to the girl child to do a lot of the work. It also tends to go really badly when there's one sibling who feels deep obligation and duty to do the work even if they don't enjoy it or want to do it and the other person doesn't feel that and behaves in the way that fits with them. I've
0: come across that a few times.
2: Yes, same. It's amazing how much resentment you can create towards another person that is fundamentally based out of your own sense of unexamined obligation. Um, So if there are other relationships involved and you want to stick to your guns and not do anything, you're totally okay with doing that, but you've got to be prepared for that relationship to possibly take some damage in the process
0: so I think you've you've done fixed that um but so I'm not going to sort of talk about any of the self-care angle or the deconstruction motivations. I thought that was a particularly good point at the end um there's a complex set of relationships around around that um when my when my mum was dying there wasn't that much I could do and I felt kind of terrible about some of that um and there was an element to which I kind of wanted to not do certain things because they seem not to get back at my moment but because they seem to be sort of societally expected mm. and I wanted to not...
2: I've also had a problem myself in that I'm just not one of life's caregivers I don't yeah. want children for this reason I don't get anything out of taking care of the physical yeah. needs of other people and so it's, it's always going to be shit work and it can be so much more shit depending on the relationship
0: But I was thinking about that feeling of guilt um, and the questioner alludes to it, the sort of um, without feeling like a monster angle.
2: Mm.
0: Because I think like, this, this whole thing is a partly socially enforced mm. giant fucking guilt trap.
2: It's the same thing that says everybody must have children and be happy about it. Those children must be happy and look mm. after their parents at the end because that's the only way this cycle fucking works. And the problem is we're so disparate and emotionally fucked as a society that most of us don't actually make the bonds that make that work.
0: So I was thinking about that fuckage about mm. basically the psychosocial mechanisms of guilt. Mm. There are a few lenses through which guilt is seen. There's a kind of bunch of psychodynamic and Freudian stuff, and that's all probably bullshit. The whole childhood repression stuff, hidden neurosis. There's, I've got a bit of time for psychoanalysis, and it does help some people, but it doesn't really seem to have that kind of grounding in the sort of behavioral psychology, cognitive psychology end that feels a little bit more robust, social psychology. Current thinking on guilt is all over the shop, but there's this idea of guilt as playing a part in sort of motivational salience, this idea of sort of the things that drive and interact with motivations. And you've got kind of incentive and aversive motivations um, and kind of withdrawal and sometimes thought of as withdrawal or approach. And withdrawal is your kind of one one view on the function of guilt is as a withdrawal incentive as part of our kind of herd or group dynamic. Which is to say it's to teach you to not repeat a harmful behaviour that would either that would be net group harmful and therefore overall harmful to the survival of... You get current. sick
2: when you eat those berries, don't eat them. It makes things bad for everyone. When you do that bad thing, don't do it.
0: Yes. Um, weaker impulse than the purely selfish stuff, mm. but still a, a kind of evolutionary psychology kind of thing going on there. Um, guilt potentially has a function in that kind of withdrawal motivation, aversive motivation, but also in the kind of... Um, incentive uh, motivation on a group psychology level as well, which is to normalize good behaviors for the benefit of the herd by kind of prompting you to do better. So the regret component of guilt, one theory of the sort of psychosocial purpose of the regret component of guilt, is to bring you to redemption, essentially, is Mm -hmm. to get you to have another go and do it right this time. So there's this idea of a cyclical thing of... um, Effectively, we're talking about a kind of self generated operant conditioning that the feeling bad in sense you away from the group harmful behavior and the feeling of regret kind of pulls you towards having another go now that you've learned that. Mm. Basically guilt's a shitty video game. Like it's exactly the same failure loop learning design thing. One one set of theories. It's 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 first taste plausible. But thinking about this um, made me just realize it's a lot like operant conditioning. It's there's this whole sort of it depends on a couple of things and it can probably be trained. Mm. So all of these behaviors strike me as very, very trainable if you know anything about kind of conditioning and, and making people's brains go wibbly. And it also strikes me that it depends completely on the perception that the thing you have done is wrong. So that inability to recognize that is a trait in um, sort of several personality disorders. And I reckon you can learn it. I think you can probably teach yourself, condition yourself to stop feeling that guilt both by offsetting the operant ends. And there are some like basement grade Pavlovian things you can do like, I don't know, having some chocolate when you feel guilty to offset and kind of just bumping the brain chemistry around. But um, then reward yourself from the behaviors, really distort that signal, get some noise in there with it and distort the cognitive signals. Do things that make you feel really good really quickly when you start to feel guilty. But then also to erode that perception that you have caused harm. That's the, key, the key component here is that the action you have taken has caused harm to another individual or a part of society, and it's therefore providing all these aversive mechanisms to keep the herd strong.
2: And there's a very compelling message here because society tells you that good children comply and bad children yeah. fuck off and leave your parents to die on their own. And- exactly.
0: And if we want to learn about teaching people to comply, but also teaching them to recognise when something is wrong, and, or, to, or rather, aggressively having them not recognise something is wrong and abnegate their feelings of guilt, um, we need to nip back to 1961 and the work of a Mr Milgram.
2: A favourite on the show. Yes.
0: Now, um, The Milgram Experiment, as it's, as it's so known, performed in the early 60s, um, published in a paper in 63, and then there was a follow-up book called Obedience to Authority, was fascinated by, in particular, the Eichmann trial and this idea of following orders and obedience before authority and the abdication of personal moral judgment in the face of authority. And he performed this experiment, which the glib version essentially is that a participant was required to administer electric shocks of escalating severity to someone they believed to be another participant when they got answers to questions wrong. Other participant was an actor, the Um, the person performing the experiment was positioned as an authority figure, and a disproportionate number of people would, on the say-so of an authority figure, carry on shocking a subject who was receiving escalating levels of distress. fair few people bailed, but a fairly chunky number of people would carry on, and would carry on quite a way. This was repeated multiple times. There's a really fun repetition of it where a kind of virtual assistant, like a a wibbly CGI person, was used as the um, shocky. And although the rates were lower, people still formed the same response, which is to say they still did it, but they still felt as visibly distressed, Mm. but did it anyway. That feeling of distress and doing it anyway is what you need to tap into here. Which is to say, if, if you really want to get out of this without feeling like a monster, if you just want to walk the fuck away but not feel bad, there's going to be that wibbly Morgrim experiment bite point where you're yeah. thinking about bailing and you need to just power on through. How to do this? It's all about the operation of authority and the idea of the delegation of agency and the fact that you are the avatar of the actions of authority rather than... Performing an action yourself. You need a bastardry, Dom. Yeah. You need to find a way to kind of hack this into your everyday life. The extreme version is to just perform the Milgram experiment to find this person that you have to care for, tie them to a chair, and have someone tell you to
2: electrocute them. It might hasten the inevitable as well. Yeah, it's...
0: There are already ethical problems with the Milgram experiment, and this is just going to make them worse. So, um... Maybe we won't do that. Maybe we'll try and hack this into a real life. So what you need to do is find an authority figure. Now, you could hire an actor or get, pay someone to record a tape, a bit like one of those sleep tapes or something you can listen to, just kind of telling you to do this thing, telling you to walk away without feeling anything, telling you not to engage with a tremendous air of authority. and You can kind of listen to this while you, while you go through that. And you can ask your manager at work. Just look for places to delegate this up to authority. Just get them to periodically tell you, you know, don't go and care for that relative or you know walk away from this situation they could set you a some big series of calendar reminders at work. Just little nagging calendar reminders with the power of authority. Just yeah find find places where you can create this with an authority figure. Medical figures work quite well as do bureaucrats. So if you are going to hire an actor get someone to kind of dress up, maybe record a short video, Just very sternly insisting, it's got to be completely inflexible, they've got to have total self-assurance that they are the voice of successful authority, just telling you not to do this thing. And you will come to pass on that feeling of accountability, you will cease to recognise it as wrong, and in with the chocolate or the little treats when you start to feel bad, it's going to just really screw those neurological signals, you are not, you're just basically going to become incapable of feeling guilt at the consequences of your actions, which I don't know, that seems like a win to me.
2: Mm.
0: Basically all I've ever wanted.
2: To actually lack the conscience you profess to lack. Yeah. Mm.
0: It would be very freeing. I don't
1: know what you want from me here. I have nothing. Nothing. You, you're you're just... talking about induced psychopathy. <laughs> you,
0: you just look horrified. It's. I repeat, you are talking about induced psychopathy. Strangely, I don't feel too bad that I've horrified you, so I think I'm well on the way.
2: I think it sounds like a viable option, personally. <laughs>
0: A robust range of fixes. If you have additional problems or questions, you can of course write to us, and we will fix you show at gmail.com. But don't write too soon. Leave it a minute. We're nipping out by the mill pond to scrape up the ash. For the less documented regime.